don't you find a seat for just a moment? Praise God. It's been an amazing week. So many wonderful things have happened this week. <laughs> I guess I keep saying that every Sunday, but it's true. Scripture said, and of his government and peace, there shall be no end. It just seems like the Lord's expanding his influence and his government over more and more lives, putting peace into those lives that are submitting to his governing. We have our first clue in Acts chapter 7. Stephen, during his message right before he was stoned, said that he was 40 years old. Deuteronomy chapter 34 gives us the next clue. It said Moses was 120 years old when he died. But the most important clue is found in Exodus 7. In 7 and 7 it says Moses was fourscore years old when he spoke unto Pharaoh. His life is divided into three 40-year segments. 40 years in Egypt, 40 years leading Laban's sheep, and the last 40 years leading the children of Israel through the wilderness. He was 80 years old when he had his encounter with the bush that caught on fire but refused to be consumed. It's a wonderful example that even though the fire and the zeal of the Lord can rest upon you, you're never going to lose your identity. You are still going to be there in the middle of that burning bush. Eighty years old. Years past mandatory retirement. Been collecting Social Security checks 15 years. I've heard so many people misinterpret this verse. I am not eloquent, nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant, but I am slow of speech and of slow tongue. For years I've heard people say Moses stuttered, had a speech impediment. I don't believe that, and I'll tell you why. Because again in Stephen's message before he was stoned, he said, Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in word and in deed. He wasn't just powerful in what he did. He was powerful when he spoke. Doesn't sound to me like slow of speech and stuttering. But like so many of us, he felt like he wasn't ready. I heard a great preacher this week say, when the enemy can't defeat you, He's going to do his best to deceive you. And the enemy tried to deceive Moses. He had the best formal education in the world. He's had the best practical education available. The Lord saw fit to expose Moses to the best and the brightest in the classroom. 
He made it possible for this man to walk over the very same land while he was leading Laban's sheep as he did when he led the Lord's sheep. He still feels shaky. Nevertheless, he reluctantly steps into his calling. His road has had a lot of twists and turns. It says an Egyptian queen was taking a bath in the Nile River and just happened to see a baby floating in a basket. It says in Exodus 2 and 10 that that woman adopted him to become her son. He was in line to be the next Pharaoh of Egypt. It says in Acts 7, he was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. The technical term is megalith and monolith, massive stones. I was just in Mexico by Chichen Itza in Central America, massive stones. Can't even put a dollar bill between these stones. People for years have been debating how in the world did they build those pyramids? Moses knew. Moses knew. You couldn't build those pyramids without the knowledge of algebra and trigonometry. This guy has been exposed to the best literature, philosophy, astronomy, hieroglyphics, the best of books, the best of tutors. When Howard Carter broke into Tutankhamun's tomb in 1923, he stuck a flashlight ahead of him and stuck his head in the hole and they said, do you see anything? And he said, wonderful things. It took three years to empty what is known as King Tut's tomb. Carefully, they worked their way back in through those different rooms, stuff that had been put in there for that king in his afterlife. But you're going to have to have some bow and arrows and you're going to need some knives. They found three knives in Tutankhamun's tomb. One of them is on this screen behind me. Two years ago, they subjected this knife to what's known as electron microscopy. It had nickel, cobalt, manganese. People said, big deal. But when they did their microscopy, they realized how big of a deal it was. The blade of this knife was made from a meteorite. How in the world did they know how to temper that piece of metal that fell out of the sky to build a beautiful blade for a king? I'm trying to show you something. These are not knuckle-dragon Neanderthals. These are not people just learning to walk upright and learning their ABCs. These are brilliant people. He was trained in all the wisdom of Israel, all the wisdom of Egypt. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Let me tell every young person here right now, I don't doubt that there is pleasure in sin. 
but it's seasonal and it comes to an end. And I'm going to tell you about sin. If you're thinking about dabbling in it, you're not going to dabble in it. Sin's going to take you further than you ever thought you would go. It's going to hang on to you for longer than you would ever think you, and it's going to cost you more than you ever expected. It's seasonal. He chose to not enjoy that season of sin's pleasure. Watch this. Esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than all the treasures of Egypt, for he had respect under the recompense of reward. And the next verse says, because he endured as seeing him who is invisible. We are apostolic people. Pentecost is an experience. If you're Pentecostal, you're spirit-filled. But the word says we need to be built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. That's why we are apostolic. We live by the teaching of the apostles. And if you get into that word from the beginning to the end, it is very obvious. There's one spirit. People say, you're not a Trinitarian. Yeah, I'm a Trinitarian. I believe in three, but three what? The Bible doesn't teach three persons. In fact, the word persons, plural, is nowhere in the Bible. The word person is, it's in Hebrews chapter one, the express image of his person. The word Trinity is not in the Bible. The Bible says in Ephesians four and four, there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one spirit, one father of all, watch this, who's above you all and in you all. <laughs> there's not a spirit of the father separate from the spirit of the son separate from the Holy Spirit there's just one spirit that spirit is holy okay it's that simple there's just one spirit John 4 24 God is that one almighty spirit 2 Corinthians 3 now the Lord is that same spirit not another spirit same spirit Saul of Tarsus asked, who art thou, Lord? The response was, I am Jesus. If there's only one spirit, God is that one spirit. Whether you call that spirit Lord or God, doesn't matter, same spirit. But what's the name? The name is not Father, Son, Holy Ghost. The name is Jesus. Jesus is the saving name of our God. But Moses... Hundreds of years before Calvary knew about the Calvary. He esteemed the reproach of Christ. Not God, not Lord, the reproach of Christ. This guy had the revelation of the mighty God in Christ all the way back in Egypt. And since a servant is never greater than his Lord and he knew what his Lord would one day be subjected to, he felt he was in good company because he ended up being on the FBI's most wanted list. He would spend the next 40 years of his life in Midian. Let me show you something powerful. Behind me is a map of what is known as the Arabian Peninsula. To the left is Africa. If you notice all of those squiggly lines, there's what is known as the Upper Nile and the Lower Nile. It's a little different because if you look at Egypt, the Upper Nile is literally on the bottom of the map. The lower Nile is at the top. 
because the lower Nile is where the Nile breaks into tributaries and goes into the Mediterranean Sea. This triangle shape of land that's here and known as Lower Egypt is even to this day known as the Fertile Crescent. When the Mississippi floods every year, before the, before the dam system was put into Mississippi and the Ohio and the other rivers, it, it flooded much more frequently, still does that. Every year, this magnificent river sucks topsoil off of ground all through the Midwest and deposits it down in Louisiana. It's the same thing with Egypt. This Nile starting over here to the left, when that thing floods every year, it scoops up topsoil and it dumps it in what is known as Lower Egypt. This is the land that Pharaoh gave to Joseph and to those 70 that came. They had the best farmland in all of Egypt. But look to the right. If you see that triangle piece of property there, that's known as the Arabian Peninsula. Up here is where they crossed the Red Sea. This is where they would spend 40 years of their life. The wilderness of Shur, the wilderness of Paran, the wilderness of Sin. But look to the right by the Gulf of Aqaba. There is Midian. Midian wasn't just on the right of the Gulf of Aqaba. It's on the left of the Gulf of Aqaba as well. Notice, it's Midian. Midian is Moses' father-in-law. In other words, Moses spent 40 years leading the sheep of his father-in-law over the very same piece of real estate that in the last 40-year segment of his life, he would lead the Lord's sheep in the wilderness journey. Look how he was prepared, spending the first 40 years of his life under the tutelage and influence of the greatest minds that the most powerful nation in the world had to offer. And then spending the next 40 year segment of his life leading those sheep over that very same ground that he'd spend the last 40 years of his life. And when the Lord knew he was ready, he called him. He still didn't feel capable. <laughs> he still didn't feel ready, but the Lord knew he was ready. He's 80 years old. He's in good company. Abraham, the Bible said, left home when he, he turned into a hitchhiker at 75 years old, looking for a city whose builder and maker is the Lord. And like Samson, Moses was going to do more in the latter years of his life than all of the rest of his life previously combined. With all of that schooling and all of that training, he still didn't feel capable and adequate of arguing for those people's release in front of Pharaoh. But the Lord gave him a powerful rebuke and he said, when I come unto the children of Israel and shall say unto them, the God of your fathers has sent me unto you and they shall say, what is his name? What am I gonna tell them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. That's what you're gonna tell them. I am has sent me unto you. On the day of Pentecost, Peter gave us a wonderful insight into this verse because in Acts 2 and 16, he said, this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. This thing, ladies and gentlemen, that we are experiencing and that you are observing, Peter was saying, 
This thing has history. This thing was prophesied. Brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen, it is so vital that your this has a that. Because the Lord told Moses, I am. Very, very, very specific. He was saying, I'm not just any I am. I am that I am. In other words, your this has a that. What's speaking to you right now has got some history, got some credibility. It's got a past. He said it first to Abraham when he was afraid. Fear not, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. He said it again to him in verse seven. I am the Lord that brought you out of Ur of the Chaldees. I am the almighty. Walk before me and be thou perfect. And when his son Isaac was afraid, the Lord spoke to Isaac in 26 and 24 and said, I am the God of Abraham, thy father. Fear not, I am with thee. He said it to Isaac's boy, Jacob, grand, great grandpa Abraham's grandson in 31 and 13. I am the God of Bethel. He said it next to Moses when Moses was afraid. I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. In verse eight, he said, and I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land unto a good land flowing with milk and honey. And to be very honest with you, I'm in very, very august company right now because as I tried to show you last week, there are imaginations that torment me. I, I share fears with, with these men. I'm afraid of these numbers. I'm afraid of this economy. When I think about it, I'm afraid of what a material costs are doing. I'm afraid of supply chain issues. But we are sharing fears, not with just some of the greatest people in the world, but the greatest people in the word. They were afraid too. And they voiced their fears just like I have and you do. And they were answered with one resounding message. I am. I am. Not I was, not I will be, I am. The God that we serve is in an eternally present condition. He just am. Out of all the wonderful and amazing phrases that are used to describe the Lord in the word, nothing is more powerful than that simple binary phrase, I am. It is why the word says God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in the time of trouble. We're here to celebrate our present. I'm grateful for all the wonderful stories I have read in the word that God's done for other people. I rejoice with so many people that he has intervened with in the circumstances. But there are times, ladies and gentlemen, when someone else's memories and Bible verses and accounts of what he's done to others won't suffice. We need a present help. We need our own stories. 
We need our own bear skin on the wall. That's what gives you credibility. And the only way to get present, the only way to secure help right now is to have faith right now. Because the word says without faith, it is impossible to please him. If you're gonna come to God, you don't believe that he was or he will be. You have to believe that he is. That he's there right now, right this moment. And that he is, not going to be, but he is a rewarder. Not a people who have sought him or will seek him, but people who are seeking him right now. You have to believe that he is. Not that just he was or he will be, but that he is. That's why the chapter begins this way. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. Walk through the woods and find a ring of stones and blackened charred embers and say, oh, look here. This is evidence. Somebody's going to build a fire here. Or go round to the gun range and pick up a spent shell and say, oh, look, this is evidence. Somebody's going to shoot a gun here. No, evidence always occurs after the fact. The blackened stones happen after the fire's out. The empty shell is after the gun has been discharged. Listen to the word. Your faith is the evidence of things not seen. Not that something's going to happen, but that when you have faith, something actually happened. That's the evidence. That's the gun. That's the shell. That's the sticks. That's the mud puddle after the rain. That's the evidence. Yesterday's faith isn't going to work right now, ladies and gentlemen. Tomorrow's faith isn't going to work either. What I am proposing to you is that we have now faith. Jesus encountered this very problem when to most people's, uh, uh, he, he was four days late. You don't miss funerals and come four days later. You, as a pastor, if I showed up four days after, oh, I'm sorry I was busy, it wouldn't work. Jesus shows up four days late to Mary and Martha's house. And this is what Martha said to him. If you just would have been here, my brother wouldn't be dead right now. All this could have been avoided if you just wouldn't have been so busy and so sidetracked. What in the world kept you away from what you called the guy that you loved above all others. His response was telling, your brother shall rise again. Her response is predictable. I know he's gonna rise again in the resurrection at the last day. This is a woman who resembles so many sight walkers. She had great faith for the past, if you just would have been here. She had great faith for tomorrow because he's gonna rise again at the last trump but she was lacking that most vital ingredient, now faith. Listen to what Jesus rebuked her and he said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. He didn't say I was the resurrection, I will be the resurrection. He said, I am the resurrection. Lazarus has been dead for four days. He's already buried. 
The widow of Nain, her son was in the casket. They're carrying him to the graveyard. Jesus reaches into the casket, grabs him by the hand, and gives that living boy back to his grieving mother. Jairus' daughter had just died, and Jesus drove out her dad and all of his disciples because he said, I can't have faith with you. You don't understand what I'm fixing to do. And he said, Tabitha arise. And he brought that girl out and gave her to her astonished daddy. I'm trying to show you something. One guy's been dead four days. Another one's dead and already in the box. Another one just died. But the degree of death is immaterial to the resurrection. I am. I don't care how long it's been dead or if it just died. I am the resurrection. I am the life right now. And my message is simple. I am here to celebrate the present. I'm here to join in with Pastor Mike to remind you about the I am. Because in the book of Matthew chapter 16, he looked at his disciples and says, what are they saying about me? Who do they say I am? Well, some say you're Jeremiah. Some say you're resurrected Elijah or one of them guys. And then he changes the whole narrative and he said, but what about you? Who do you say I am? Peter with revelatory insight said, you're the Messiah. You're the Christ. And he said, a boy, you didn't get this because you had a 4.0 GPA in high school. He said, my father revealed this unto you. You're right. I am the Messiah. I am the mighty God in flesh. I am deity in dust. You've told everybody else what they've got to say. So my question to this church, who do you think he is? Who do you say he am? Because if you remember that voice when he was baptized, that voice said, this is my beloved son in whom I am. I am. And that is the question we got to answer. What do you think he is? Not was, not will be. Do you have now faith? Present faith? Today faith? Do you believe that we can bind and band together and refuse to remain sight walkers? and step out in faith to build a new delivery room for babies, amen, that need. Oh, Jesus. Say not ye there are four months. Quit putting it off. It's already white. The harvest is already in the field right now. We do not serve a deity who's a dwarf. We do not serve a savior that second guesses himself. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. Here's the message. God can do anything, you know, far more than you could ever imagine or guess or request in your wildest dreams. He does it not by pushing us around, but by working within us. Here's my favorite, is the Amplified. Now to him who by in consequence of the action of his power that is at work within us is able to carry out his purpose and do super abundantly far over and above all that we dare ask or think infinitely beyond our highest prayers, our desires, our hopes, our dreams. 
There's a place in the book of Psalms where he said, praise him on the loud sounding cymbals. And then he said, praise him on the high cymbals. There's loud cymbals and there's high sounding cymbals. The Bible said, let the high praises of God be in their mouth that they will bind their kings with fetters of iron and their nobles with chains. This honor, this privilege have all of the saints. But this one said, I'm not talking about your highest praises. I'm talking about your highest prayers. What's your wildest prayer? What's the thing that, that, that you, you, you dare dream about? That, that, that backslid child that looks so far gone that you just, it, it's just, Scary just to even think, my God, is there any way my boy's coming back to church? Is there any way my girl's gonna come back to church? What is, what is your highest prayer? What is, what, is, what is that wild zephyr, that, 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 that fantasy prayer that, that, that you, 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 you can't even say it. It's, it's difficult enough just to think it. It's difficult enough just to dream it. But this is what it says. He's able to do super abundantly above what you dare ask or dare think beyond your highest prayers, your highest desires, your highest thoughts according to his power <laughs> that's working in you. Oh, Jesus. You understand what I'm talking about right now? It's just, uh, I've been sitting on a committee for four years to, to, to create a metro district of the cities in, in, in the Detroit metro area. It's one of the most difficult things I ever went through in my life. I, I told people I felt like I was in a civil war with a gray shirt and a blue pants on. I, I just like there's shells coming from every direction. I, I, I saw small spirited people just say ugly, ugly, ugly things. My wife was gone and, and I, I couldn't sleep. And I was in the kitchen walking back and forth across across the rooms, one o'clock in the morning. My phone rang, I thought it was my wife. I quickly grabbed the phone. It was a pastor from Dallas, Texas. And I said, what in the world are you doing calling me at one in the morning? And he said, you're up, aren't you? And you're praying in your kitchen right now. He said, the Holy Ghost gave me two words, don't stop, and he hung up. That's what he told me. <laughs> so we didn't stop. And they told us we would fail. And they told us we would fail miserably but we had our first unity service in December. And we had 1,100 people in that unity service, screaming and yelling and worshiping. And this past weekend was our first midwinter youth convention. And Friday night, we had 700 young people worshiping, praising, magnifying God. <laughs> I, I stirred the pot. I've been known to do that by times. I called those pastors, those 30 odd pastors in the Detroit area, got a hold of them by their presbyters. I said, I got, would get perverse pleasure out of beating Michigan in the home missions offering. Because I knew the ceiling was 115,000. So we gave a lot of money. It cost a lot of other people to give. 
This is not money that's promised. This is money in hand as of Friday. $125,000 from the churches in Metro Detroit. We got a hold of Brother Bowen. Brother Bowen was the home missions director for all of Michigan. He broke ranks and supported us in our effort. They all thought he was a Benedict Arnold. <laughs> we told Brother Bowen what was going on. He said, thanks. So he started calling all the other pastors in Michigan and said, are you gonna let them guys in Detroit beat you the first year out? Are you serious? It built up such a fire in the rest of Michigan. As of Friday, they had raised $145,000. And God loved the small spirited man from Michigan who started screaming, we won, we won, we won. To which I replied, you don't get it, everybody won. The kingdom won. We've raised $270,000. Why? Because of a vision that this can happen. This is not a myth. This is not a zephyr. This is not make-believe. Two years, two weeks ago, without any repeal, you know at the end of April is when we're going to do our first cash offering for this campaign. This is the second of nine services, but two weeks ago, we had the greatest regular offering in the history of this church. It was almost equal to the entire income for the first year I was pastor of this church. I gotta be honest, it wasn't equal, but it was close. <laughs> we almost got in one week what years ago, it took us a whole year to get together. That's present. That's right now. During our Monday prayer summit last week, amazing Aiden got the Holy Ghost right there. Right there. Notorious, notorious Nicholas got the Holy Ghost right there. Right there, Monday night. Thursday, Thursday, Susan Fellow's lifelong friend, tremendous Tammy, got the Holy Ghost in a prayer meeting on Thursday. Yesterday morning, lovely Layla got the Holy Ghost at the youth conference. Been sitting on that front row week after week after week. That's just this week. That's present. That's what's going on right now. <laughs> and so my deal is we set the bar. You understand that? Let his power work in you. What's that? Now faith. That's what it is. Now faith. What does that mean? It means don't get sidetracked with Ukraine. Don't get sidetracked with Mr. Putin. Don't get sidetracked with the economy. Don't get sidetracked with the supply chain. For God's sakes, let faith, let faith work in you. Because when faith starts working in you, People said, did you hear about President Putin? And my response is, do you know that Tammy got the Holy Ghost? Do you know Layla got the Holy Ghost? Do you know Aiden got the Holy Ghost? Do you know Nick got the Holy Ghost? Why? Because what I'm thinking about and what I'm talking about is gonna be driven by the power of faith that's working inside of me and not the fear of this world that's trying to deceive us. 
in Jesus' name. And so I went to James Hagman this week and I said, I want you to start a solar company. I want you to install solar panels on people's houses. And he looked at me and all of a sudden, Elijah, his boy said, I've been telling him about that. I've been telling him about that. I've been telling him about that. So why don't you pray with me that James Hagman will start a solar company. And it's the future. These, these electric cars, amen. The power grid can't support all these cars and all this stuff that they, we're gonna have to have panels on the roof of our house. I want a guy in this church, amen, to be the installer. He's already made a commitment, make a great commitment. I, I, I want you to pray for Amuya and I want you to pray for Arushi Palmar. He said, I want to build a company, Pastor Hoffman, so I can help build the new temple. I got a daughter that called me this week that just started a business a couple of months ago and she said, Daddy, I know that the blessing of God's on my life because of you and mother and because of grandpa and grandma Hoffman. And she said, pray, Daddy, because we want to give a great offering to help build the new church in Detroit. I want you to, I want you to, I want you to pray, I want you to pray for I want to thank Eric Vandewater and Jeff, Jeff Woodworth who started selling my guns this week. People say, you're selling guns, you're, you're, you're right. I'm, I'm gonna sell everything that's not nailed down. Everything I can get, if I can unloose it and screw it, we're gonna need a group of young people in this church to help us on eBay. We're gonna need Facebook Marketplace. There's, there's, we could sell stuff, we could do that. I'm talking about a sacrifice. I wanna make a mark in this community. I challenge any of you to try and beat me. I'm gonna give the largest offering my wife and I have ever personally gave. I challenge you to try and beat me because I'm convinced God's going to, I was doing my, I was thinking, oh God, I need, I need $30,000 more. Where am I going to get $30,000 more? And all of a sudden I realized I'm 65 in another month. At 66 in six months, halfway through this campaign, I get social security. There it was, bam, 30,000 right there. It was like hot dog. I already know. That's just what I can figure out to do. But what God, what's God want to do with me? What's God want to do with me? What's God want to do with you? I know what's going on right now. It amazes me what he's doing right now. Where are we going with this? Oh, 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 don't you get it? We put the bar. When his faith works in us, we set the bar. What, what, what's the biggest thing you, you can dare talk about? And what's the biggest thing? You wouldn't dare say it, but you, in your wildest dreams, you'd think it. This is what he said. I'll exceed your words and your thoughts. I just won't exceed it. I'll super abundantly exceed your highest thoughts, your highest prayers. So I'm on my phone with Brother Mitchell. Next week, we will not be here. You're aware of that. We'll make you aware of it again and again. Next week, we meet at 5.30 at, at, at Oakland Church, which is Silver Bell Road. It'll all be on the website. You'll all be there. We're going to meet at 5.30. Why? Because we, we got a whole church on, on Sunday morning that hasn't met you. We, 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 now, Brother Mitchell's coming. They split Brother Mitchell from stem to stern, okay? They put a brand new heart inside of that, 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 that 67-year-old man. 67-year-old men don't get hurts. They give them the 30-year-old men and 35-year-old women. They don't give them the 67-year-old men. But they were so impressed with what he had to say. He said, we're going to give this preacher a heart. 
they put him at the top of the list. When they, right before he went into surgery, he called me. It's one of the highest compliments I'll ever receive. I was the last person he called before he went into surgery, not knowing if he was gonna come out. But he said, I said, listen, preacher, you're on the roster for the 22nd of March. You are our speaker on the 22nd of March. And he said, okay, okay, okay. So I got a hold of him yesterday. It's a new guy. I mean, his voice is like, woo, you know? And he said, Huff, I haven't told my cardiologist. I won't tell him because they'll tell me I can't come. But he said, I'm strong enough. I will be there on the 22nd of March. And he said, listen to me. I was laying there in a coma. And he said, I had an audience with the master. And the Lord told me, I'm going to use you to raise $20 million. I'm going to use you to raise $20 million. So... He's thinking that now he's going to be able to encourage a lot of churches and he's going to raise $20 million. And honest to goodness, I'm on the phone with him and there's something that comes over me and said, before he dies, I will make sure that you get $20 million before he dies. I think the 20 million is us. I think that's what God's going to do with us. I think that's what God's going to bless us. I think we're going to build stuff everywhere. You say, that's crazy. I know. I can't do that, but the I am can. <laughs> the I am can. Stand with me. Lift up your hands. Join in with me with some now faith. Come around this altar. Just move. Just move. Don't stop clapping. Keep clapping. Keep worshiping. Come around. We've got people in the last three weeks. Online people, they're listening right now. They're all, I got calls from all over the country this past, in this last three weeks. People are sending us offerings that said, we've been watching you week after week after week. We want to help build the new temple. <laughs> You're listening right now. I'm asking you to help us. Preachers don't help other preachers. They don't do that. But I've done that for years. I'm believing God's going to pay me back. I believe I'm reaching preachers right now that have been blessed because of these messages. I don't care if you use them, use them. I'm just, 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 you, you steal from one serve, source, it's called plagiarism. If you steal from 10, it's called research. I'm a researcher, okay? I, 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 I steal, but I steal from the very best. If these messages have inspired you to be able to preach and build faith in your congregation, great. I'm asking you, don't make it out to Herald. Make it out to First. Give, do something that other preachers don't do. Send us an offering and help us build a new temple. Amen. For the kingdom. I'm asking you to do that. Hey, around this order right now, look, look at this crap. Look at what's going on. We had the largest, largest representation from our youth group that we've ever had at a district meeting. Thanks to Kento and Bianca and the youth team. Amazing young people. Something powerful. Something mighty. Listen to what the Bible said. Old men are for counsel, but young people are for war. And we got an army of young people that are here in this church. They're not trying to water it down. They're not trying to dumb it down. They're not ashamed of being modest. They're not ashamed of being godly. They're not afraid of holiness. They're not afraid of intercessory prayer. They're not afraid of worship and reaching and giving and sacrifice. That's what we got here right now. And it's and of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. It's gonna keep going and going and going and going. I'm excited just for what God has done this week. The present of this congregation is powerful. But our future is promised. <laughs> our yesterdays are pardoned. 
Our present is powerful, but our future is promised. Hallelujah. Let's magnify God around this altar right now. And let's thank him. In Jesus' name. From the right. 